0: This is weird. So like old school right here. This is nice. Yeah, so I've done, I was telling Julie before we started, I've done a lot of public speaking. And the thing that I learned is that when you're speaking in front of people that you know and love really well, it's much more nerve wracking. Then when you're speaking in front of like 200 people that you have no idea and there's bright lights shining in your face, you can't see any of them. So, so this should be interesting. So so let's pray to start. Um, Father God, thank you for this community of people who I love so much. And thank you for meeting with me this week as I pondered um, this topic. And I pray that you would be present with us here this evening and that we would see your face. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in a series on prayer, and specifically we started last week talking about Trinitarian prayer and what it means to meet with God in all of the different persons of who He is. So Mark talked about what it was like to meet with God the Father. And the two big points that stuck out with me from his talk was that when we meet with God the Father, we're meeting with a king who is glorious and awesome and worthy of fear and respect, but we're also meeting with our Father our Abba, our perfect Father, um, who loves and cares for us and protects us, and that dichotomy of being in the presence of one who is so powerful and awesome, while at the same time, who is so loving and gentle. So I'm going to talk about what it means to meet with Jesus in prayer. But before I talk specifically about Jesus, I had some thoughts that I wanted to share with you on what it means to meet with God in general, whether you're meeting with him as the Trinity or whether you're meeting with him as a specific part of the Trinity. Um, And I wanted to share this because I've had a long journey in understanding what it's like to meet with God in prayer, where there was a time probably for the majority of my life as a Christian where I felt like prayer was a duty, was a chore. It was pretty dry and it was very disciplined and had to make sure you have your 30 minutes of quiet time every day. And there was not a lot of richness to it. And there was something that propelled me into seeking a different kind of prayer that I'll talk about in a little bit. Um, But I wanted to give you some thoughts of things that I've learned over the last few years of what it means to meet with God in prayer. The first thing is that it's less about what we do or say and more about who we are meeting with that prayer is not talking, prayer is an experience of knowing and being known. So when we meet with God, we are provided the opportunity to know him and for him to reveal to us who we are. And I strongly believe in this. Is something the village has taught me, is that being known is the singular most powerful experience for the human soul. Underneath everything that we crave, Being known is the bottom need of a human being. And that so many of our woundings and our dysfunctions and our pain and our hiding comes out of not being known, not being seen, or being misunderstood. So when we enter into prayer, it is the experience that we are looking for. It is the water for our thirsty souls of being known fully, completely. But it's also the process through which we experience intimacy, renewal, reconciliation, redemption, and change. And that happens that as truth is presented to us, as we see the truth of who Jesus is, and he reveals to us the truth of who we are, that we become formed to that truth. And the Bible talks a lot about um, reconciliation, redemption, and that Jesus' ministry to us was a ministry of reconciliation, and, what that, and that he then gives that to us also. And what it means to be reconciled is to have truth revealed and you to bend around it. So an analogy um, that somebody gave me once is that if you had an object, like pick any object, and you take a piece of tinfoil, the object is truth. The object is God. And you are the foil. And if you press that foil up against the object, it takes the shape of truth. So that's us, and that's what we can experience when we go into prayer as truth is revealed about who God is and about who we are. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? Very popular, often read at weddings. There's a piece at the very end of it that I love. There's this great big stuff all in the front that talks about what love is, and love is patient, love is kind, and long-suffering, and all those things. But at the very end of it, in verses 8 to 12, it says, "For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away." When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see as through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known." So in this section, he's talking about the eternality of love and its ability to reveal truth to us. And I love the connection between knowing and love. That part where it says, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am already fully known. So we're the ones that are looking through the glass darkly. God's not. God already knows us fully. And when we meet with him in prayer, it's an opportunity for us to be known fully, to experience that knownness. So if prayer is about meeting with God, who are we meeting? So Mark introduces to the Father as King and Dad, who is Jesus. Jesus is multifaceted as all the pieces of the Trinity are. But I I feel like Jesus has more facets to him than either of the other persons of the Trinity. And so I wanted to give you some of the identities that he reveals himself in Scripture to have that really resonated with me, because we could spend hours talking about all the different ones. So these are the ones that resonate with me the most. You probably have others that resonate with you, and if we have time, we can talk about those and share what it's like for you to experience Jesus. Some of these you may not resonate with, Um, So I'll go through mine, and then if we have time, you can voice yours. So the first is that Jesus is our brother. So just like when we look at God the Father, and we kind of unwittingly compare him to our earthly father, who is imperfect, and so we take all that imperfection and cast it upon God the Father. When we look at Jesus as brother, um, we do the same thing. So... Maybe we never had a brother, maybe we had a brother that wounded us very deeply, a brother that let us down. When we meet with Jesus in prayer as our brother, it's the opportunity to experience that relationship in perfection for the first time. So let me ask you, what are some of the qualities of a good big brother? Protective. Honest. Understanding, okay. caring, faithful, brave, appreciative, nice, okay. trailblazer, I like it, fun, someone you can fight with, I love that one so much, I love that one so much, yes, I love that, that's my favorite right there, okay, so I wanted, I boiled it down to two, um, and that was a loyal friend and a protector. Um, In Proverbs 18.24, it says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And this is a picture of Jesus, that often we look for a multiplicity of relationships. We look for the more people we have around us, the better off we are, the more safe we are. But this proverb reveals to us that it's that one person who will stick with you no matter what. That's Jesus. He is the perfect brother. Another picture of his brotherhood is in 1 Samuel 18. The relationship between Jonathan and David, who were not brothers. But Jonathan comes to a point where um, he realizes his love for David. And it's in chapter 18, verses 1 to 4, if you want to go and read it. But I'll just sum it up to you by it said that Jonathan was knit to David because he loved him as his own soul. That is a breath. That's a brother. So to meet with Jesus in prayer as our brother is to sit in his protection and his unfailing companionship. There's so many times where I feel alone, I feel crushed, I feel confused. And even when I can't hear exactly what it is that I'm supposed to do, what I can sense is that Jesus is sitting with me and he's saying, my sister, I have you, I love you. And then that that's fine. Whether I know what to do or not, I know I'm not alone. So the next identity that I really resonate with is that he is our righteous advocate. Not just our advocate, not just somebody who speaks for us, but he is righteous, he is perfect. So his voice has the most power because he has no flaw. We pray through Jesus to the Father. We don't pray directly to the Father. It says in 1 John two one, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin, but... If anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. Jesus speaks on our behalf. What does it say about us? This is a question again for you. What does it say about us that we have an advocate sitting before God the Father? Though we need one. That's a really good one. Somebody understands us. Somebody sees us. Ones that I came up with were that we are valuable and worth defending and that we're seen despite our flaws. So a new experience that I've had over the last couple of months is that I um, was able to go into a courtroom for the first time on behalf of a friend. And this is the first time that I've ever done that, never been in a courtroom before. Um, And I was kind of shocked by the experience. And I was shocked at how powerless the people who are um, being charged are. And how efficiently they are moved through the system. And I understand that. Like, I understand the limits of the system. I'm not trying to be critical of that. But it was, it broke my heart to see people who are complex people really be boiled down to what is between their case file. And that's what the judge sees. That's what the prosecutor sees. That's even what their defender sees. Um, The offenders are treated only on the basis of their offense and not as a whole person. And there are judges who try to see more than just what is presented to them. Um, But it's difficult for them to be able to see that. And especially because there's so much skepticism about offenders that, like, well, they're just going to lie and manipulate to try and get what they want. And so as I went um, this last week, I was very unexpectedly put on the spot to advocate for my friend. And I had watched the judge over the last several times that I'd been there, the way that he interacted with offenders. He was very belittling. He was very um, hostile. He was very intimidating. He really wanted to, like, put them in their place and dehumanize them. But when he looked at me and asked me to speak, he was soft and gentle and kind, and he listened because I was the advocate. I wasn't the offender. That's what we have when we meet with Jesus in prayer, that he is, like, way more than me, a righteous advocate. Um, And when we meet with him, what we have the opportunity to do is sit helpless while he fights for us. Because by and large, I did not hear any of the offenders be allowed to speak on their own behalf. That was left up to their lawyer, who barely knows them, um, or court advocates. And I think actually the entire time that I was there, I was the only audience member that was able to speak, which was a huge gift. So we sit helplessly while he fights for us. The other thing that Jesus is is our banner. This is one of my absolute favorite identities. I painted a sign and put it over my back door um, with the name Jehovah Nisi. In Exodus 17, 15, after going to this huge battle where God obviously shows up and wins the battle for the Israelites, Moses built an altar and says, this altar is Jehovah Nisi. the Lord is my banner. So it's a two-fold meaning. When he's talking about banner, you're talking about old school war where they would have a banner. And that banner was there to orient the armies to what was going on. So that in the chaos of battle, if they needed to know, okay, are we winning? Are we retreating? Where are we? What's going on? They look for the banner. So they can look up and above the chaos and say, okay, we're retreating. I'm going to leave now. <laughs> or everybody's over there. I'm going to go over there and we're going to work together. So that's the first thing, is that Jesus is our place to look to in chaos. He's a stake in the ground to bring us back to where he's at. But the other thing that a banner is, is that, I mean, you have like the coat of arms. It identifies you. It identifies you as a family. And that Jesus as our banner identifies who we are. And when we meet with him, we have the opportunity to tap into what our true identity is, um, Song of Solomon 2.4 says his banner over me is love. And I love that. That's our general banner for all of us. But he also gives us each individually our own banners. So when you meet with Jesus in prayer, you have the opportunity to ask him, what is the banner that you've placed over me? Who am I? Identify me. And that you can come back to that identity. Because the loss of our true identity is the source of great wounding and great sin in our lives. So when we find ourselves in those places, to meet with Jesus in prayer is to come back to who we truly are. And the last one is, he is our lover. And this is one that um, I tend to see mostly men struggle with because Jesus calls himself in scripture the bridegroom. So if Jesus is the bridegroom, then that means we're the bride. So men often, I've heard them say like, oh, a bride, that's weird. (laughs) (laughs) So stripping out the meaning of, it's an analogy, and all analogies are imperfect. So if you strip out the feminine gender, and if you strip out the sexuality present in the analogy, what you're left with is this experience of celebration and enjoyment. So in Luke 5.34, one of the places, many places where Jesus calls himself the bridegroom, he says, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? So to be in the presence of the bridegroom is to be <laughs> joyful and to be celebrating and to be having fun. I mean, think about like all the things you do at a good wedding, not a boring wedding, like a good <laughs> wedding. <laughs> like, everybody's having fun. Everybody's enjoying each other. They're happy. They're so happy for the bride and groom. And everybody's just filled with all this excitement. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says, I am the bridegroom. I am the one who enjoys you and who you enjoy. To be a husband and wife, right? The ideal is that you are intimately known, and that you intimately know each other. And from that intimate knowledge of each other, you enjoy each other; you are enjoyed. So to meet with Jesus in prayer as our lovers, to be affectionately cared for, and this was the point. This was the identity of Jesus that really started to change prayer for me. And the way that that happened was I was watching a video like a church leadership video, where the guy was interviewing this prayer guy. I can't remember what his name is. But he apparently leads these, like, massive prayer meetings where they get together in England and they pray for, like, three days and, like, three days straight, which sounded like agony to me. (laughs) Like, they fast. They don't eat during the day. They just pray all day. Like, that's torture. But he looks like he's having so much fun. So what's going on? And so after he got done talking about, like, his prayer retreats and what they do, the guy who was interviewing him said, so what is it like for you to meet with Jesus in prayer? Like, what does your prayer life look like? And his answer caught me, like, sticks with me, will stick with me forever. I was expecting him to say something like, well, I sit down and I open up the psalms and then I pick a psalm and then I read through it and then I, you know, and, like, I'll do all these, like, prayer strategies that we're given. But his answer was, oh, I love Jesus. I sing to him, and he sings to me, and he holds me, and he lays with me, and we enjoy each other. And I was like, "What? I want that. How do I do that? I don't. I've never experienced that before. How do I do that?" And I was when I was talking to Eric Sieben this week, going over um, what we were going to talk about tonight. Um, he said, "Well, how did you get to that place? How did you go from that place of..." Um, prayer being a very rigorous, disciplined thing that was really about me trying to earn my own holiness more than it was about experiencing God. What happened? To be honest, I really couldn't nail it down. He asked me for like one single moment. I'm like, I can't, I don't know. There was no one single moment. There were a series of changes that happened so slowly that I just kind of, as I'm putting this together, realized, oh, I got there. I'm like that prayer guy who loves Jesus, who loves to be with him. Um, so Eric had to help me out <laughs> with figuring out how you get there, and he made some good observations. So the first is that if you want to see Jesus, you're on the right path. Um, Jeremiah twenty nine twelve to 13 says, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I had read that verse before and often got stuck up on that part that was like, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I'm like, well, crap, I'm kind of jacked because I don't, like, seek him with all my heart. Like, and then it became about me, like, doing it right again and about me, like, trying to have to, like, perfect myself in order to be able, otherwise God's not going to meet with me. Like, it's about me being perfect. It's not what he's saying at all. That... It's not about us being perfect. It's just about the baseline bottom desire of our heart is that we want to see Jesus and that he recognizes again that we we have that advocate, we have that brother, we have that lover that recognizes how we get caught in sin, but that he is fighting for us in it. He is with us in it. So it's not about us being perfect, but it's about us continuing to seek him and trying not to turn away. So as we seek him, we see him more and more. And as we see him more and more, we see truth. And as we see truth, we begin to bend to it. And as we bend to it, we become reconciled. And we begin to experience him in his fullness. We begin to see ourselves in our fullness. So the only thing I think that you have to do in order to get to a point where you are able to enjoy the experience of prayer and that going into prayer is not just a discipline, but it is an experience of one who loves you and who you love is to seek him and be willing to bend as he reveals truth to you. So we ooh, we have time. For You can ask me questions. I don't know if I'll be able to answer them, but you can try. Or I will ask you a question and you can throw those out, which is, so these are the ones that I I identify most with, but who do you experience Jesus to be? What is your experience of him? So we'll do both. Savior. Yeah. What is that like to experience Jesus as Savior? doesn't give me of responsibility mm. it makes me thankful that he's there mm. that I'm incapable of doing it. That he did what I'm incapable of doing I like that that he did what I'm incapable of doing I like that so there's like security when you experience Jesus as savior experiencing security Rescue. I like it. Anybody else? Our companion. Hmm. Uh, like, I like that one a lot. So as he walks with his disciples from place to place, yeah, I like that one a lot. I was thinking about. Um, Studying what it means, like the word rabbi means and what it was like to be um, the follower of a specific rabbi. Because, I mean, rabbi was just like a general term for teacher, one who is respected. And we miss often that when we say rabbi equals teacher, that we think of it in terms of like, okay, sit down and Jesus is going to teach a lesson. And we see him doing that, sitting people down and teaching them things. But for the disciples, it was more than just sitting down and hearing him speak. It was being his ever-present companion. Kind of like in Star Wars. (laughs) 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 It's true. Amen. the, the purpose of, like, see, I, I'm not even that big of a Star Wars fan. I'm seriously about to say this. The Padawan learner yeah. <laughs> like, attaches to the master. And it's not just about learning things, but it's about them becoming in character like their master. That the goal of following a rabbi wasn't just to, like, learn things and think things, but to actually become your rabbi. So he's our companion. bit. I can, yeah, I too can be so far. Yeah. Yeah, so spiritual warfare leader. I really like that one. It makes me think in Revelations where it talks about. Um, the conquering king coming back on the white horse and like that he's leading us into a battle. Yeah, It's easy for us, I think, to miss the spiritual battle component of things that are going on around us and kind of be lulled into complacency because we can't see that stuff, especially in our culture where people don't talk about spiritual life very much, but that it's a reality that often gets missed um, and that we have a hard time entering into. So, to know that he is on that plane of existence fighting for us. Awesome. I like that one. I think that, like, that the thing that to do value. right mm-hmm. yeah yeah so Jesus is the valuable servant he doesn't have to like he's coming from the father with everything that the father offers but he's choosing so it would be like the prince coming out of the palace in all of his splendor and then kneeling down in the mud to wash the feet of a homeless person, right? That that's not something we would see in our culture. Um, But that is what we see when we look at Jesus. Yeah, so And am going be okay. and Yeah. I I yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's also my judge. And mm. um, last time I was in I uh, was um, calling myself a judge to stop. Doesn't that tell you something? Hmm. Judge, is told me I'm guilty, but you know, he allowed me to in my blame. Mm. Rather than condemning you for yeah. it, I like that. A good judge. You got a good, good judge. <laughs> I disagreed with him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thankfully, you're allowed to do that. Right? Any yeah, others? we wrap up or any questions or anything you want me to clarify yeah healer yeah so just sit with him in prayer is to allow him the opportunity to get into those deep deep places so I'll leave you guys with this thought of how to take this information and put it into practice is whether you identified with these or you identified with some of the other ones or you have ones um, as you think about who Jesus is that you identify with is I encourage you to just keep a list of who Jesus is who God the Father is who the Holy Spirit is and as you meet with them in prayer to actually listen for that voice listen for Jesus's voice as your big brother Listen for his voice as your banner. Listen for his voice as your savior. Um, That is often really helpful for me to have kind of like just brief little snippets of things to hold on to as I go about my day. Um, This week as I was praying and uh, praying to him as my banner, he told me, remember who you are. And as I was praying to him as my lover, he said, "Return to your first love." Um, and as he, I was praying to him as my brother, he said, "I have you, and I will never leave you." And as my righteous advocate, he said, "I'm fighting for you." Good stuff. And should we pray? I don't remember. Wait, no, no, no. Then it's there are three ways to respond to what I just said. <laughs> Okay, so the first is offering. So if you are visiting with us, please let this just pass you by. If this is your community, please give as you are able. The second way to respond is the healing chair, which is back over there. And the healing chair is a place to go and sit with Jesus and sit with your community. So if you feel like you are burdened by something, if you feel like you are weighed down by something, you're confused about something, you're whatever about something, or you're just missing God and you want to put yourself in a position, an actual physical position, to be able to meet with him, that's a good place to do it. Um, Sit there for a few minutes and somebody will see you. It's in the back, so it might take them a minute. And they'll come and pray with you. Give them just a brief um, description of where you're at. They will pray with you and then hopefully be able to follow up with you after the service. And the last is communion. So we have the gluten-free bread and the regular bread. The significance of communion um, is very important to know before you come to the communion table. It is a place where for people who have um, identified that Jesus is their Savior and that they are sitting in that redemption that he offers— So on the night that he died, he broke bread and said, this is my body broken for you. And he poured wine. He said, this is my blood poured out for your sin. And he had his followers dip the bread in the wine and eat and drink of him. And that's what we do when we remember that we are helpless before him, that he is our savior, that we sit in helplessness, not in perfection, not in our ability to save ourselves a reflection of the fact that we need him to rescue us. The end.